Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It's a blessing that we can all be here again together this afternoon to worship our triune God together. Welcome to all of you who are present here and to those of you joining us via the live stream. May the preaching of the gospel message strengthen our faith and cause us to trust our Saviour Jesus so that more and more we would live lives to the praise of God who preserves his people. Consistory has the following announcements, the same announcements as this morning. Consistory as elders only will meet, the Lord willing, at 8pm tomorrow in the consistory room. And this morning we could announce that we had received an attestation and we could welcome Sister Melanie Bosveld from the Free Form Church of Beldivis. This afternoon's service will be led by Reverend Poppy. Before we commence, let's sing together Psalm 145 verse 3. Please rise and let's worship God. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's now sing a song of praise. We're going to sing together from Psalm 86, the verses 1 and 4. Thank you. 
Let's now make a profession of our faith. Let's do so this afternoon with the words of the Apostles' Creed as set to music in hymn one. Let's now pray to God and let's ask God for his blessing. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we come to you again this afternoon, Lord, and we do so with, with gratitude in our hearts. You're our Father. You've adopted us to be your sons and daughters. You've entered into a familiar relationship with us. You're someone who, who cares deeply about us. Father, we thank you for the promises that you've extended to us in Christ, that you promise to be faithful to your promises. You promise to look after us, to provide for us. You promise to forgive our sins for Jesus' sake. You promise to live in our hearts with your Holy Spirit, to work faith in us, to be near to us, and even to bring us into glory. These are immense promises, Father. We, we believe that we receive these promises through faith. So as we believe in you, as we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, as we rely upon the Holy Spirit, that you will fulfill these things. And you will show yourself that you are a faithful God. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you that you show in, the, in your word that you always do what you say. The, the faithfulness that you have is a foundational part of your character. And that gives us great hope because we realize that we're different from you. We're not always faithful. There are times where, where we give our word and we don't always keep it. There's times, Lord, where, where we are not faithful in serving you as we ought to. And so then we, we thank you 
that we may believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, that we can look to him in faith and rely upon him, and that we trust that his sacrifice is sufficient in our account. But this afternoon, we're hoping to speak about these things. We're hoping to, to understand the promises that you've extended to us and, and how we can be assured of your faithfulness towards us. Please give us your Holy Spirit, and please build us up in understanding what you've done for us. Pray that you would forgive us for all our sins, and that you do these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this afternoon I may preach to you the gospel concerning not just the perseverance of the saints, but also the assurance that we have that the Lord will preserve us through to the end. And in connection with that, I'd like to read with you first from Romans 8, the verses 1 through 17. So in Romans 8, starting at verse 1, you can find that on page 1122 of your guest Bible. Romans 8 verse 1, there God's word says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, For it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although your body is dead because of sin, the Spirit of life, sorry, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So far the reading of God's word. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing from Psalm 92, the verses 1, 6, and 7.
This afternoon I may preach the gospel to you concerning the perseverance of the saints and especially the assurance that we can have that God will preserve his people through to the end. We're going to do so by looking at what the church has summarized confessed in the Canons of Dora, chapter 5, articles 8 through 13. You can find that on page 583 of your book of praise. So we're going to start with article 8. We confess there, the grace of the triune God preserves. So it is not through their own merits or strength, but through the undeserved mercy of God, that they neither totally fall away from faith and grace, nor remain in their downfall and are finally lost. With respect to themselves, this could not only easily happen, but would undoubtedly happen. But with respect to God, this cannot possibly happen, since his counsel cannot be changed. His promise cannot fail. The calling according to his purpose cannot be revoked. The merit, intercession, and preservation of Christ cannot be nullified. And the sealing of the Holy Spirit can be neither frustrated nor destroyed. Then the assurance of this preservation. Believers themselves can be certain of this preservation of the elect to salvation and the perseverance of true believers in the faith. And they are indeed certain according to the measure of their faith by which they firmly believe that they are and always shall remain true and living members of the church, and that they have forgiveness of sins and life eternal. The source of this assurance? This assurance is not produced by a certain private revelation beside or outside of the word, but by faith in the promises of God, which he has most abundantly revealed in his word for our comfort. By the testimony of the Holy Spirit, witnessing with our spirit that we are children and heirs of God, and finally, by the, by the serious and holy pursuit of a clear conscience and of good works. And if the elect of God did not have in this world the solid comfort of obtaining the victory and this unfailing pledge of eternal glory, they would, of all men, be most, the most miserable. This assurance is not always felt. Scripture, meanwhile, testifies that believers in this life have to struggle with various doubts of the flesh, and placed under severe temptation, do not always feel this full assurance of faith and certainty of preservation, sorry, of perseverance. But God, the Father of all comfort, will not let them be tempted beyond their strength, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape, and by the Holy Spirit will again revive in them the certainty of perseverance. This assurance is an incentive to godliness. The certainty of perseverance, however, so far from making true believers proud and complacent, is rather the true root of humility, childlike reverence, genuine godliness, endurance in every struggle, fervent prayers, constancy in suffering, and in the confession of the truth and lasting joy in God. Further, the, the consideration of this benefit is for them an incentive to the serious and constant practice of gratitude and good works, as is evident from the testimonies of Scripture and the example of the saints. And finally, this assurance does not lead to carelessness. Neither does this renewed confidence produce carelessness or neglect of godliness in those who have been restored after their fall. Rather, it produces in them a much greater concern to observe carefully the ways of the Lord, which he prepared beforehand. They observe these ways in order that by walking in them, they may retain the certainty of their perseverance. 
Then shall the face of their gracious God not turn away from them again because of their abuse of his fatherly goodness with the result that they would fall into still greater anguish of spirit. Indeed, to those who fear God, the contemplation of his face is sweeter than life, but its withdrawal is more bitter than death. So far, then after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together from hymn 28, the verses 1 and 5. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the greatest gifts of God is the, the promise that he has what it takes to bring you into eternal life. You may remember that last time we looked at a bunch of passages that clearly shows that God will bring those whom he has chosen into the new heaven and earth. I'll just mention a few. It's in Philippians 1 verse 6. Paul says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Or Romans 8.30, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Or again, John 10, verse 28, Christ says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. There's another dozen passages that you could refer to here, brothers and sisters. I'll quote just one more, 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for his salvation to be revealed in the last time. Peter says God has an inheritance in store for you. And he's guarding you through faith so that you will also for sure share in that great inheritance that he has for you. And so you read through these passages and you see, brothers and sisters, that the Lord really wishes to assure us that he will bring to glory those whom he has chosen in Christ. But you know, the question becomes, who does that include? Will that be me? Am I one of the elect? And can I be sure that, that these promises also apply to me? And then the real question becomes, how can you know? How do you know if it applies to you? Well, it's an important question especially since there's ebbs and flows to our faith. There's some days, some seasons of life even, where we're really close to the Lord, where we walk intimately with him and, and we have great communion with him. Then there's other seasons of life where we don't have that same intimacy. Sometimes sin is, is a bigger force in our lives. And it's in that, in that time you can really wonder, you know, do I share? Do I belong? Am I one of God's children, and will I be brought into glory? The Lord wishes to, to help us with this, brothers and sisters. 
We're going to consider these questions with this theme, the Lord assures his people of his preservation. We're going to see in the first place the source of this assurance, and then secondly, the result of this assurance. How do you know if you're a child of God? How do you know that he's going to preserve you for glory? Well, the way you know is through faith in the promises of God. The reason John 3 verse 16 is the the most famous passage in the scriptures is because it encapsulates the message of the gospel in one line. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him, it is through faith in Jesus Christ that you will not perish but that you will receive eternal life. Paul says something similar, Romans 1 verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation And then he works it out. He summarizes the core message of the gospel later in his letter. He says, the core message is that we are made righteous before God through faith in Jesus Christ. God is happy with you when you believe in Jesus. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, then you share in his righteousness. Then when God looks at you, he says, you are my child, and I do love you, and I will bring you into glory. You know, sometimes I have the conversation with people, brothers and sisters, it's usually when they're at a low point in their lives, they have a lot of trouble, maybe they've committed a lot of sin, maybe they have other people who've sinned greatly against them. When we have the conversation, then they tell me about all the trouble and all the problems in their life. And there's this, this mountain of trouble and they don't, they don't see a way through that all. And it's at some point in the conversation, that they even get to the stage where they're not quite sure if they're a child of God. You know, with all these troubles, with all these problems, you know, I, I, I don't know if I'm really one of God's people. I don't know if I'm going to make it to glory. And it's usually at some point in the conversation that I reorient the conversation back to the Lord. And I say, you know, talked about all these troubles that you have and all the problems in, you know, in your life and your relationships. Then I ask, I say, you know, you haven't talked a lot about God. You know, where, where's God in all this? Do you believe in him? Do you trust him? They're like, yeah, yeah, of course I trust in God. Then I ask, well, do you confess your sins to God? Are you honest with God about the sins that you struggle with? And do you, do you acknowledge those things before the Lord? They say, yeah, I do. And then I ask, well, do you, do you believe that God is willing to forgive your sins for Jesus' sake? And they say, yes, I do believe. I'm a sinner, Christ died, and I believe that he, he's willing to forgive my sins for Christ's sake. And then I say to them, I say, well, what you're saying to me is that you believe in the Lord, that you recognize that you're a sinner, you acknowledge your sins before God, you ask him for his forgiveness, and you believe that God will forgive you for Jesus' sake. And so what's the trouble? Why would God not bring you into glory? 
Why would you not be his child? And there's this moment where sometimes people see it again through different lens. And they say, yeah, if you, if you put it like that, then, then yeah, you know, he will forgive me. And he will carry on with me. You know, that's the core, brothers and sisters. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus? Do you trust him to forgive your sins? If you're caught in, in all the problems of life, then sometimes you can forget that. Your focus becomes self on yourself and on where you're at and what you're doing. You know, it's in this regard that one of the greatest blessings that God's given us is, is the blessing of the sacraments. He, he invites us to come forward to the table where he gives us the, the possibility of witnessing this, the, uh, the baptism of a child. And he reminds us that it's not about you. It's not about who you are. It's not about what you've done. But it's about Jesus Christ. It's about who he is. And it's about what he has done. And it's as we lift our attention off ourselves and as we focus our attention on our Savior that we can be assured again that we will receive the forgiveness of sins. That God will show his kindness to us. And that God will bring us into glory. If you believe the promises of God, then you can have assurance that you are God's child and that he will bring you into glory. You know, that's the core of where confession puts the focus. Article 9 says, Believers themselves can be certain of this preservation of the elect to salvation and the perseverance of true believers in the faith. And they are indeed certain according to the measure of their faith by which they firmly believe that they are and always shall remain true and living members of the church and that they have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. You can be certain that God will preserve you according to the measure of your faith. It's as you focus your attention on Christ, and as you remember who Christ is and what Christ has done for you, then you can be sure that God is going to bring you into glory. You know, that's what Article 10 also focuses on. It lists three things that our assurance is based on. It says, in the first place, this assurance is not produced by certain private revelation beside or outside of the word, but by faith in the promises of God, which he has most abundantly revealed to us in his word for our comfort. Your salvation is secure. If you keep your attention focused on Christ, then you can have rest for your soul. And it's really interesting here as well, brothers and sisters, that our, our confession says that this assurance is not produced by certain private revelations beside or outside of the word of God. You know, there's some Christians who, who have gone wrong in this regard. Historically, you, you may be aware of the pietistic movement. The pietistic movement, they really emphasize the need for the personal experience of faith. And so many times they say, you know, just knowing the doctrine is not enough. They say you also need to appropriate. You need to personally experience your faith in Jesus Christ. You know, that sounds all good. Of course you have to appropriate your faith. But at times, though, it becomes really subjective. It actually becomes quite mystical. In the end, for, for many of these people, faith is grounded in your feelings and not in the word. Or another way of saying it is that your experience of faith is more important than the doctrines of the scriptures. 
And then some of the pietistic movement, what ends up happening is that when they interpret the scriptures, they do it as long as it lines up with their own experience of faith. And so your experience ends up guiding your, your reading of the scriptures. It ends up guiding your, the norm by which you judge other Christians. And it was really sad in the pietistic movement because many of these people, they withdrew from other Christians. They even withdrew from daily life. And they put a great deal of emphasis on being busy with the things of God. But how do you know that you're a child of the Lord? How do you know that God is going to bring you into glory? For them, they would say, the focus is not on the promises of God. They would say, the focus, your focus needs to be on your experience of faith. If you feel close to the Lord, and if you know in your heart that you're converted, then you can be assured that you're a child of God. You know, that's a really dangerous place to be, brothers and sisters. In real life, there's a, there's a group of churches back in the Netherlands. We also had some in North America. In the Netherlands, it's called the Gerefemerde Gemeenten. Or in North America, they talk about the, the Netherlands Reformed Congregations. So we used to live in Coaldale. It was 10 minutes up the road that we had a Netherlands Reformed Congregation. It was another 20 minutes north of us. We had another one. Huge congregations, 800, 1,000 members. We had about a half a dozen people that at one time were members of these congregations and who had left these churches and who ended up joining our congregation. And it was the saddest thing in the world. Because in these churches, you needed to have a special experience of faith in order to know that you're really a child of God. And so you had to have this unique conversion experience. They said that all children are externally members of the covenant, but you don't receive the blessings of God unless you've had some special experience of faith. You've been converted, and you're able to point to this moment of conversion, and then the elders judge that to see whether or not that really is a real conversion. We have a congregation of 800 members, and you have 20 people who come to the Lord's Supper. Because nobody else has the experience of faith. Nobody else has had this special conversion experience. That's profoundly sad. So these people, they, they join our church, they become members of our congregation, and then one of the questions that we ask them is we ask them, will you come to the Lord's Supper? Now, if you join our congregation, are you going to worship God with us? Or are you also going to join in the sacrament to the celebration of the Lord's Supper? And they say, oh, I don't know about that. And then we say, well, do you believe the promise of God? Do you believe that you're a sinner? Yes, I do. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? Yes, I do. Do you acknowledge your sins to God? And do you rely upon him for forgiveness? Yes, I do. Well, why don't you come to the Lord's Supper? That's what conversion is. Conversion means that you recognize that you're a sinner and that you need God's grace. And you recognize that God has extended his grace to you. And then you're invited. Not only invited, you're commanded. Christ commands you to celebrate the Lord's Supper until he comes. And so you're called to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We have a woman who's been a member of our church for, 50, for 30 years. She's 50 years old. And she says to me, she says, you know, Lord's Supper Sunday is still one of the hardest days for me. It's so deeply ingrained that you need this personal experience before you can have any assurance, before you're allowed to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Well, the saddest thing 
that kind of situation, you, you have a funeral, you have a man who's gone to church his whole life, who recognizes that he's a sinner, who believes that Jesus Christ died on the cross for his sins, and at the end, the best that they can say is they say, well, we don't know. We don't know if he goes to heaven. We hope so. We have no assurance. Well, that's not the gospel, brothers and sisters. That's not the message of the scriptures. The Lord tells us that when we believe in Jesus Christ, it is through faith in Christ that we share in the kingdom. And when we believe in Christ, then we can have assurance that we are his people. And we can have assurance that he's going to bring us into glory. We don't need special experiences. We don't need private revelation from God. We need faith in the promises of God. It's through faith that we share in the blessings of Christ. And then it's interesting, our confession also lists two other things. It says in Article 10, it says, This assurance is not produced by a certain private revelation, besides or outside of the word, but by faith in the promises of God, which he has most abundantly revealed in his word for our comfort, by the testimony of the Holy Spirit, witnessing with our spirit that we are children and heirs of God, and finally, by the serious and holy pursuit of a clear conscience and of good works. So in the second place, we confess here that God assures us that we are his people by the Holy Spirit, witnessing in our hearts that we are the children of God. Now, we read just a minute ago from Romans chapter 8. In the first part of Romans 8, God tells us that one of the great blessings of Christ is that by means of the Spirit, we no longer build our lives around pursuing the desires of the flesh. It's when we are in a life of sin, then our whole life was about our sensual desires. But it's when we're converted, then the Spirit lives in us. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and His Spirit takes up residence in our hearts. And when the Spirit takes up residence in us, then we're changed. We heard this morning, when, when the light shines on us, then we become light. Then the light starts shining out of us. Then we become these new people. And it's as we're changed, then the Lord also uses that to assure us that we are his people. In verse 14, Romans 8 verse 14, it says, For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So it says here, if you have the Spirit, and if you cry out to God as your Father, then that's evidence that you're a child of God. And then verse 16 continues, it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, if you believe in the Lord Jesus, and if the Spirit lives in your heart, brothers and sisters, then he witnesses to you that you are God's child. It says you, you look to God in faith as you trust him in your life. It says you witness the Spirit working humility in you, that you're willing to confess your sins, that you trust God. If you have this desire to, to live with God, to know God, to have a relationship with him, the Spirit uses all those things to testify to you that you really are the child of God. And then the confession also says that if you see that you want to protect your conscience, that you want to do what's good and right in God's sight, 
It's also a powerful testimony that you're a child of God. Now, sometimes we have that. Sometimes we look back at our life and we see certain things that we used to, to do and certain ways of thinking. And now we, we look at that and we say, no, that's not godly. That's not who the Lord is. That's not what the Lord wants of me. I'm not going to live like that. Well, if you, if you see that happening in you, that's evidence that you're a child of God. You're protecting your conscience. If you witness in yourself that you're grateful to God for what he's done, that you no longer carry on with the sins that you used to commit 5, 10, 20 years ago, but you put that away from you because you love the Lord and because you understand his grace, that's a powerful testimony that you're a child of God, that the Lord will bring you into glory. And that's really the Lord's intention with these things, brothers and sisters. One of the great blessings that he gives through good works. It's not that you earn anything. When you do what's good, it's, you don't get something for that. What you receive is you receive assurance. In your heart, the Lord blesses you. As you seek his face, as you rely upon him, then the Lord really comforts you that he is your father, and that he does love you, and that he will bring you into glory. Now, you know, brothers and sisters, you hear about that. And it sounds all good. It sounds really clear. But you know, there's times where we struggle. And at times we struggle intensely. There are days where sin is a powerful force in our lives. Now, let's say that you're, you're caught in a destructive way of relating with your spouse, or with your family members. Or let's say that your life is out of control. You're addicted to pornography, or to the internet, or to shopping, or to social media. Or let's say that you live with serious anxiety in your life. Your life is ruled by your anxieties. And no matter what you do, you can't seem to get away from that. Well, you're in that space, and you can wonder if you really are a child of God. I remember having the conversation with someone, you know, I asked that question. You know, do you ask God for the forgiveness of your sins? The person said to me, they said, I don't know if I can do that anymore. You know, I used to. And I did that over and over. But I have no guarantees that I'm not going to do the same sin all over again. And so I don't know if I can, if I can ask that anymore. Well, that's what, our con- that's what our confession refers to. It says in Article 11 that sometimes we have to struggle with doubt. We do not feel the full assurance of faith and the certainty of perseverance. And what do you do then? Our confession continues, it says, But God, the Father of all comfort, will not let them be tempted beyond their strength, but with a temptation will also provide a way of escape, and by the Holy Spirit will again revive in them the certainty of perseverance. The great promise of the scriptures is that God is your father, brothers and sisters, that he will help you in the time of need. The passage it's referring to here is 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. After reminding us of the Israelites' sin and warning us against pride, then God continues, he says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation... He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure at. The Lord is your Father. 
And he will carry you through the hard things. There can be times, there will be times, where you face powerful temptations. You know, usually the more deeply sin is ingrained in your life, the more powerful the temptations are, the more you struggle with these matters. But the, the whole message of Scripture is that God teaches us that he does for us what we can't do for ourselves. You read the message of the patriarchs, you read through the lives of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, and you read the sons of Jacob, and it's a sordid history. These people committed serious sins against God. They did things that, that are truly horrific. And yet it's amazing that these are the patriarchs. These are the, the 12 men on whom the church is built, the church of the Old Testament. And how is that possible? Well, it's possible through the blessing of God. Because God preserved them, and God brought them into glory. And that's, that's the core message of the scriptures. You know, sometimes we go through these difficult times. And when you're in that space, you struggle against temptation, and you fail, and you fail, and you fail again. And then you stand there with empty hands, and sometimes you can, you can be really discouraged. You can ask God, Lord, why did you let this happen to me? But you know, usually it's in those days that you understand what grace is. That you understand that you can't do it. That you don't have the power. And you can't beat this on your own. And that God needs to do it for you. And you stand before him with empty hands and you say, Lord, I can't do it. I can't make it through this. And I need you to do it for me. And the Lord will. Jesus Christ is the Lord of those who look to him in faith, brothers and sisters. He is the power and he is the willingness to save us as an act of grace. It's in Luke 22, verse 21. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you have turned again, then strengthen your brothers. Quite a prayer. The very next verses, they tell us about how Simon fails. How he betrays his Lord. He disowns him. And yet, Christ prayed for him that his faith would not fail. And later on, we're told that Simon is the most articulate and the most bold apostle in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and in strengthening his brothers so that they continue in their faith in Christ. Well, that's fairly typical, brothers and sisters. If you've powerfully experienced grace, then often your life is filled with a love for your Lord. You have this profound joy in serving him. Now, that's one of the, the foundational critiques of the Arminians. They say, if you believe in the perseverance of the saints, if you think that people can have a deep-down assurance that God's going to bring them into glory, then in the end... That's going to make people careless. I'm saved anyways. God elected me. He's going to bring me into glory, so it doesn't matter what I do. And you know, that happens. There are some people who use God's grace as a license for sin. If I'm elect, if God is my father, it doesn't matter what I do. I can sow my wild oats while I'm young. You know, kids will be kids. We're going to grow up one day. 
But for now, it doesn't really matter if I let a little bit of sin in my life. Sometimes it happens to people when they get older. You have a similar attitude. You have these deep-seated patterns of sin. Maybe even things that they've learned in their family, from their parents, from their grandparents. Sometimes you have a stubborn pride. You have persistent gossiping. You have a violent temper or a racist attitude. You have this attitude where you think that you have a right to get even with other people who sinned against you. Well, sometimes you have people like that. Their family's been members of the church for generations. And they'd be appalled if you question their integrity. You know, there's no confession of sin. There's no humility before God. There's no understanding of the need for grace. There's no real evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in their dealings with others. You know, when that happens, the problem is not the perseverance of God. The problem is not that that God's made his promises to these people. The problem is a lack of faith. The problem is a profound misunderstanding of the nature of grace. If you understand grace, then that's not who you are. That's not how you live. Paul talks about in Titus 2, verse 11 and 12, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. If Christ lives in your heart through faith, if you recognize your sins, if you understand the grace that God has extended to you in Christ, if you understand what Christ has done for you on his death on the cross, you're not going to take advantage of that. You're not going to treat that lightly. You're not going to continue in sin. You're not going to, to continue in pride. But when Christ lives in you, then you're filled with joy and thanks for the riches of God's grace. And you respond to that in faith. You renounce ungodly passions. You renounce your worldliness. You live self-controlled and upright and godly lives. You know, that's what our confession also talks about. Article 12. The certainty of perseverance, however, so far from making true believers proud and complacent, is rather the root of humility, childlike reverence, of genuine godliness, endurance in every struggle, fervent prayers, constancy in suffering, and in the confession of the truth, and lasting joy in God. It's when you have faith in Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, that it's, it's evidenced. And it comes out in all these different things. You are really humble. And you depend upon God with childlike reverence. And you endure in the face of struggles. And you're constant in your prayers. And when you suffer, then you don't give up, but you continue on in faith in Jesus Christ. And you have this lasting joy in who God is and what God has done for you. Do you understand the message of the gospel here, brothers and sisters? Unlike the Arminians who say that ultimately salvation is your work, the Bible teaches us that ultimately salvation is a gift of God. He will bring his good work to completion in us. He will ensure that no one snatches us out of his hand. The Lord has sealed us with his Holy Spirit. He has given us a guarantee of our inheritance. He wants to assure us that he'll bring us into glory. And that assurance is not found by some private special revelation that God gives you, 
that assurance is extended to you through faith in the promises of God. If you believe in Christ as your Lord, if you trust that God forgives your sins for Christ's sake, then you can know deep in your heart that you are a child of God. In 1 John 5 verse 1, God tells us that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And as you believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit will testify to you that you are God's child. And you'll see it in your life. You'll see that you hate sin and that you want to flee from it. And you'll humble yourself before God. And you'll look back five and ten and twenty years ago and you'll see that God has set you free from certain patterns of sin that you used to commit. And when you talk to God as your father, when you look to God for help in the struggles of life, then he will assure you that he will help you and that he will bring you into glory. It doesn't mean that you won't face temptation. It doesn't mean you won't struggle. And it doesn't mean that you won't fall. But it does mean that God does not give up on his people. The ultimate comfort of scripture is that for Christ's sake, the Lord will bring you into glory. He will forgive your sins. And he will reveal himself to you for all time. And that as someone who is humbled and washed and joyful and full of expectation, that you will come into the presence of the living God. Amen. Let's sing together. We're going to sing from hymn 28, the verses 1 and 5.
Let's give thanks to the Lord. Almighty God and Father, we humble ourselves before you this afternoon. We thank you that you're a God who's faithful to his promises. Lord, you've promised us that you will bring your people into glory. Those whom you have chosen, not one of them will be lost. No one will snatch them out of the hand of our Lord Jesus, but he will bring every single one into glory. You also tell us how to know if we belong to Christ, if we believe in him, if we trust him as our savior, if we confess our sins to him, then we can know that, that we are your people. And it says, you forgive us, Lord, you also renew us. You make us into new people. Your light shines in our lives and you renew us so that we humble ourselves before you, that we trust in you, that we look to you for help and we rely upon you for grace. Dear Father in heaven, we pray that you would give us great faith. Help us to believe in the Lord Jesus, especially during the difficult times of life, the certain times where we're attacked and where sin is a powerful force within us. During those days, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us, that you hold on to us, that you help us to always remember the extent of your grace. Please humble us. Please bring us to a point where we realize that our only hope is in our Lord Jesus. And then help us to have confidence that Christ will bring us into glory. And then, Lord, we pray that our lives may be changed, that we may be trained by grace to live grateful lives before you, that we would show you how much we love you by fleeing from sin and by doing what's, what's good and right in your eyes. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to help us in these things. And so we pray that you would give us a rich measure of your spirit. And then, Father, we pray that we can have a deep-down assurance that you will accomplish the work that you started in us, that you will bring your people into glory. Father, thank you for these immense promises. And thank you for the certainty that we may have through our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that, that we would recognize you as the Father of all comfort, and that we would rely upon you, and that we would live out of this certainty. Dear Lord in heaven, we, we thank you for the many faithful people who have gone before us. So beautiful as we get to know the, the older generation. So many of them, they've, they've lived life, they've had their struggles of life, they've experienced your, your guiding hand in their lives, They've been humbled by your grace and you've brought them to a place where they are a powerful example for, for the rest of us. Father, we pray that you would bless our relationships with our parents and grandparents, our great-grandparents. Grant, Lord, that, that, that the elderly among us can be a powerful example of, of what grace looks like. We pray, Lord, that you would work that out in all of our lives, that we may assist each other in these things, and that we help each other in the struggle of faith. Father, we also wish to pray for your blessing over the coming week. We're grateful, Lord, that you give us jobs. Thank you for the peace and the safety, the security that we have here in our country. <clears throat> I want to ask that you bless the work that we do, that we may be faithful in our task. I want to bring the employers before your throne of grace, Lord. There's often a lot of pressure that they face these days. There's lots of work to go around. Sometimes they don't have employees. Sometimes they don't have materials that they need to do at all. I want to pray for your blessing over them, that things may go well. And we also pray for, for the employees, Lord. Please, please grant that they may do their work faithfully, that they can have joy in that. Please grant, Lord, that there may be a spirit of, of gratitude for the, for the gift of work and that there can be a sense of faithfulness in doing the task that you've given to us. Please help us to provide for our families. 
and also give us a spirit of generosity in dealing with those who are poor and who need our help. Father in heaven, we also wish to ask you for a blessing in our government. We want to bring our elected representatives before your throne of grace. We want to pray for them, Lord, that they may be able to do the tasks that you've given them to do. Please give them wisdom. We have so many blessings that we receive through our government. We have a system of roads. We have good water. We have electricity. We have, we have heating. We have so many things that make our life easy and comfortable. And much of this is, is governed and is regulated by our government. And we, we thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, for, for the rule of law in our country. I want to pray that you be with the police officers, that you bless them in the work that they do, also with the judges. Please help them to administer justice in the land. also pray for our politicians, that they can make good laws for the well-being of our country. I also want to pray for our doctors and nurses. We're so grateful for the faithful work that they do. Thank you, Lord, for the stunning care that we can receive through the hands of the medical system. And thank you for the blessings that you've given through these people who do this work. Lord, we ask for your blessing over them. There's often a lot of demands in the jobs that they do. And we pray for your blessing over that, that it may go well. I also wish to thank you, Lord, for, for all the other blessings that we receive in our society. We live in a time where there's, there's so much peace and joy, so much prosperity. And these are rich gifts out of your hand. We want to acknowledge you as the giver. We want to thank you for that, Lord. We want to pray that we may always recognize that these things come from your hand. Please help us in that and help us to live truly grateful lives for what you've done for us. I want to pray for a blessing over the communion of the saints. We're thankful for the gift of each other, Lord. Please bless us when we study your word together this week. Please be with the consistory tomorrow evening when they meet together. Give wisdom to the brothers and grant that we have good oversight to your congregation. I want to pray, Lord, that you, that you bless us in every area of our life. We're dependent upon your blessing, and we, we acknowledge that, and we recognize that. Please sustain our health, and please be near to those who struggle with various health concerns. Please also be a father to those who doubt, and please work renewed faith in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that we can bring these things to you, and we pray these things, not because we deserve them, but for Jesus' sake. Amen. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, you now have the opportunity to give your thank offerings to the Lord. I'd just like to read with you for a moment a few verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. That the Apostle Paul he has some instructions to give us with regards to our giving. It says there, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you credit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And so the Lord teaches us here that we are to give on the first day of the week, that we are give, to give proportionately to the manner in which we have prospered, and that, and it doesn't say it here, but in a few verses, a few chapters later, he also teaches us that we give joyfully as an expression of the gratitude for the gifts of grace that he's given us. So your collection this afternoon will be received for the work of mission work in P&G, and it will be received at the door on the way out. Then at this time, you're invited to rise, and we're going to sing together in closing from hymn 66, the verses 1, 2, and 3.
Receive now the blessing of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.